0: Welcome to the Freudcast. As stories about career changes go, this is one of the more unusual ones. JB Gill went from being in hugely successful boy band JLS to becoming a farmer in rural Kent, looking after turkeys and pigs with his wife and kids. JB says his love of agriculture comes from his family's Caribbean background, and the move has meant he's been able to positively challenge any prejudice that exists around a black Briton working the land. This change of tack has also seen him appearing on shows like the BBC's Countryfile and presenting others like Down on the Farm and Songs of Praise. Talking of songs, though, JLS haven't entirely gone away either, as Freud's Tosin Ayaomi also found out.
1: How have you kind of found um, transitioning from, I guess, being in an award-winning boy band and, like, touring the world and to, like, kind of living and working on the farm with, like, your wife and your children?
2: Do you know what? The transition has been so unusual at a point, I probably wasn't that aware of the decision that I was making. And I think it's definitely been a decision that I've made for the best. Um, it's been, you know, I've, I've not looked back since sort of leaving JLS and deciding to kind of embark um, within the farming industry. The farm started about eight years ago while I was still in JLS and I moved out of my family home and moved here Um At the time, it was by myself. And then, of of course, I got married. And so, you know, Chloe's been here for the best part of six, seven years now as well. The premise behind it was just utilizing the space that I had. So when I bought my house, I bought about 11, 12 acres of land along with it as well. And I was like, I don't have the first clue about how to farm or where to go, what to do. You know, I literally didn't have any idea. And so I spoke to my dad and you know, in the Caribbean, he used to keep horses and you know, we used to grow fruit and stuff like that um when I was growing up, up until about four or five. So he had a he had a lot more of an idea than I did. Um and he was all for it. So he said, yep, yeah, you know, you should get a few animals, um, you know, and kind of just explore, you know, take your time and just explore all the different possibilities. So that's exactly what I did. Um, You know, we used to have a lot of wild deer um, coming, you know, on the land and in this area. Um, So they always fascinated me and um, we got some chickens. And then the, the first animal we actually had on the farm was our pig, ginger.
1: Um,
2: and we rescued her from the RSPCA, so, you know, we, we gave her a loving home, and, yeah, about a year and a half after we got her, she had her first litter with her, us, um, and we've kind of not looked back since, to be honest, um, and that that was kind of the, I guess, the, the turning point, um, and then once JLS actually came to an end, I thought to myself, you know what, I, I really want to focus, have this, have the farm, have the outdoors as a focus for me going forward you know and i didn't actually have a um i guess a a, a desire to go into television presenting and stuff like that but having the farmers of focus has really helped me to to pinpoint my other career options Um, Mm -hmm. and obviously when I'm when I'm going into that space of of television um, or anything really television or you know um, any of the the brand stuff that I'll do any endorsement deals I'll do anything like that because I have a niche suppose you know so so to speak um, and obviously having come from the musical background um, I worked out very quickly that actually that was a great driver um, and so Yes, okay, you know, TV's a big world and there's lots of competition, but actually because I was in a certain space, um, it allowed me to flourish. It allowed me to learn my craft, allowed me to develop. Um, you know, I, f- I first started off doing CBB, so children's BBC, um, doing Down on the Farm, and that was such a great show. Like, I love that show. It's still on now. Um, you know, you can never get tired of watching that mm. and learning. You know, for me, obviously, it was still a new journey, um, but I was able to learn and discover Uh, different types of farming, different methods of the same farming, you know, all of that sort of stuff, which really, really helped me. And I got to the point um, after initially trying to be as big as I could be and, you know, learn everything and know everything, you know, I I gave up on that relatively quickly because I realised that I couldn't learn everything there was to learn. I didn't have enough time, even if I wanted to. Um, And so actually I should focus on my strengths, you know, and, and I've, as I say, very quickly worked out that, you know, my strengths were being part of, uh, you know, multi-platinum boy band um, and having done that for, you know, seven, eight years. Um, and the platform that that gave me enabled me to, as I say, use my strengths, which is that platform, my voice, you know, the mm. fact that people recognise me and want to ask me questions or talk talk to me about certain things that I'm passionate about. Um, and I just realised, as I say very quickly, that I had a, a great opportunity to be a spokesperson for an industry that I think is underrepresented and undervalued. Mm
1: oh that's amazing like I love the fact that you're using your platform in that way I guess one of the questions I wanted to like ask is just kind of hearing what everything you've said and I can just kind of just hear your passion like come alive which was like so lovely it's quite obvious mm. that you are like an established member of the farming community now um mm. and I think it's just nice to see that you're using like your success in the inter- entertainment industry and just in general to like highlight your passion I guess I kind of wondered like what was it, I guess, maybe in the initial stage that really struck you about, I guess, focusing on educating, like, younger children? Like, what really inspired you to, like, get younger children, like, understanding where their food came from and just kind of understanding that, like, that space or that world?
2: Mm, that's a good question. I, I think that when it comes to anything at all in our world, mm. you can never start too young. Yeah ever you know and at that time you know I've always been passionate about children I've always enjoyed working with children um and at the time when I first started with the farm I didn't have my own children um but they were imminent and I know that Chloe and I were talking about you know what would happen and I definitely started thinking more about what would happen if I had kids like what do I want them to learn what do I want them to pick up like how do I want them to view me even as a father? Do you know what I mean? All of those sorts of questions, which you kind of get, you know, I don't know if you got to that stage yet, but, you know, when mm-hmm. you get to that stage where you're having your own children, you like, start thinking about your life and, you know, what it means to you and what sort of things you want to pass on to them. And that's kind of how it all all started, to be honest. So, um, you know, once we finally had um, our son, Ace, um, you know, it just became really, really important to me to kind of instill that understanding, that knowledge um, into him um, and, and just to do it, as I say, as young as possible, you know, I think it's, you know, all children, when you look, hear some of the stats that kids don't know, um, you know, that, that cereal is grown, you know, from uh, a crop whether it's corn or wheat or whatever, do you know what I mean? That's, like, shocking. You know, they just think, Mm -hmm. literally, it's made in a box and that's it. You know, or, like, you know, chicken comes in a packet. It's not an actual animal. Like, you know, and even if you don't eat meat or whatever, you know, all of those sorts of things, you know, there's lots of sort of controversies surrounding the food industry. But ultimately, we have to eat food in order to survive. And so it should be the most popular thing that we talk about, you know, ultimately. But I find that it's often not. You know, and as I say, for me, that disconnect between our youth in particular, but all of us as society, um, and where our food comes from is just shocking. You know, I really wanted to do something about that. And, you know, I'm glad I took that step because now that we've gone through this pandemic, um, you know, and and we're seeing the effects of it, you know, and we're seeing that, the key workers, okay, yes, our, our hospital staff and other people, but they're also the the, the people working in, you know, the, the food industry, whether they're in the supermarkets or whether they're working on farms. Those people are key workers because without mm-hmm. them, we literally, you know, we ran out of supplies in this country, didn't we, for a little while. Yeah. yeah. We had to build that back up. So, you know, for me, when you, obviously we're, we're adults now, so we're at the point where we're organising and sorting and dealing with issues as we face them. But I believe our children are the next generation and they're the future um, and they're the ones who are going to take that mantle on. So it's up to us as, in, as adults and individuals to leave it, leave them a good legacy. But it's also mm-hmm. up to us to be able to encourage them, teach them, develop them, help them to take the legacy on and to better it.
1: I'm like so glad that like you know people like you are doing things like this because I like totally agree it's so important to just feed our next generation with like the things that they need to know and I feel like there are a lot of kids out there who definitely look up to you um, and see you as a role model Um, I think you also mentioned previously about um, presenting more on TV and I know that you're a regular contributor on shows like Countryfile and Springwatch um, both very popular shows in the BBC but both shows are predominantly like watched by white audiences so do you feel like as a black male like in the farming space like do you kind of feel like you play a role in maybe like shattering or dismantling like a stereotype that the black community don't really farm or aren't really like interested because I know like as a Nigerian like I know a lot of my relatives back in Nigeria like farming is a big thing agriculture is massive in like Africa but I think like if you look at it in the UK context like black Brits I think there is that stereotype or disconnect with our community whereby I guess many of us don't feel like you know we, we're like we're farmers or we're in that industry so yeah do you feel like you have a role in dismantling that in some ways?
2: Yeah absolutely but I would say that on 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 two fronts because first I do. Absolutely. I'm definitely a role model for the black community within the farming industry in the UK. No doubt about it. But I believe that the reason why the aspiration to farm within this country is much lower within the black community or or with any ethnic minority, really, is because most people associate farming with land. Of yeah. course, because we need at this stage anyway I oh, know no, you can you can develop crops and stuff like that and develop all sorts of things within a, in, a, in a laboratory sort of um, um, system, but the majority, even if you're developing stuff within a, a laboratory, you actually then have to implement it within actual you know actual soil actual land so when you think about that you know and then you think about someone who is you know has come from another country to a place where perhaps they don't own the space or own the land in which they're living or on which they're living. You know, you talk about, you know, Nigeria. I talk about my family from the Caribbean. In the Caribbean, we've got, you know, I, I know it's a thing to have land and to build on your land yeah. and that's just what you do. Do you know what I mean? And everyone, whether they're wealthy or not, has the aspiration to do that. You know, and most people will do that. Whereas here, of course, you know, it's such a different system. So land is, is sold differently. You know, property is sold differently. You know, it's more aspirational perhaps to have, you know, a high rise penthouse somewhere in central London than maybe it is to have X acres of land. And so I think because of the style of living that we have in here in the UK and in the Western world in in particular, and consumerism kind of being a driving factor of how we live our lives, you know, I think the focus is different and... You know, I think across the board, you know, you're seeing, even though, yes, the black community don't really have a presence, you're even seeing within the white community, uh, the, you know, and, and those families who p- historically owned farms and have been farmed for generations and generations, you're seeing those children coming out of that circle, out of that sphere, and saying, you know what, I want to become a lawyer, I want to become a personal trainer, I want to become an engineer, whatever else they want to do. So they're actually not keeping those roots within the farming community. So for me i think it's it's wider than just that but i do for me my role i definitely see my role as empowering other black people and just saying do you know what some of the myths and some of the stereotypes are just based around the industry in itself you know a lot of people feel that you've got to own the land which i thought Mm -hmm. myself when i first came into it i thought to myself well if you're gonna farm you've got to have your own space you've got to have your own land that's how you get started you know, and then when you think about it, how many people can afford to have, you know, 20, 30, 50, 1,000, 10,000 acres in the UK? That's a lot mm-hmm. of money, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you automatically class yourself out and say, do you know what, that's not for me. I don't have enough money. I'm only blah, 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 however old, you know, I've just come out of uni or whatever it is. You know, it's better for me to get a job in the city or get a job in wherever, do you know what I mean? It's another industry where you know that it's relatively quick for you to to get some the assets needed in order to succeed. And so you know i just want to encourage people and tell people that across the board but especially the black community that they can if they want to be farmers there are so many ways out there for them to to acquire land it doesn't have to be owned by them they could lease it you know they could um get a portion from um from uh the NFU and people like that who are able to find you know to to match up and pair up you know plots of land um that have been derelict or not used or whatever and and convert them for use for farming and as i say you know a lot of people say that if you can't see it you can't be it you know Mm. um for me it's not necessarily a motto that i've um held to but as i sort of see my children growing up you know i I watch the way they look at tv and they look at the things that that, you know they're aspirational about and there is an element of truth to that you know and you want to be able to see people you know um black people within every industry. So when you say that son, daughter, you can do whatever you want to do, they believe it, do you know what I mean? And so I didn't set out with that intention in mind, but, you know, I'm more than happy to assume and, and to accept that role. And, you know, as I say, I, I do lots of speaking engagements as well. Um, you know, and I talk, I've spoken to university students and college students and school kids and all sorts, you know, and, and um, I've even been into my son's school, just to encourage them and just say, do you know what, this is an important industry. You don't just have to be, in a tractor all day you know that's a stereotype so let's just get that banished right now you know (laughs) and let's start you know using your gifts and your skills you know if you are that techie nerdy geeky type of person by all means use that that's beautiful let's 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 start thinking about how you can work with machinery perhaps developing the next type of i don't know baler or the next type of you know, um, a tractor that does something that perhaps, you know, the farm community is miss- community's missing at the moment. Or let's look at how we can maximise the yields on certain different types of crops, you know, because we, we need more food. We know that. We, the population around the world is growing. How do we sustain that? We've seen this pandemic has caused all, all sorts of shortages because we can't import food in the same way. So what's happening with that? We've seen in the government, you know, Brexit uh, are, you know, has, has created so much um, disruption within the, the community and across the board, but, of course, the farming community has been hit quite um, hard by it. So you need to have people in every walk of life, whether it's education, government... Uh, media, uh, um, you know, farming, food, whatever it is, healthcare, they have to understand and accept and and appreciate um, the value of of food and how we produce it. So that when we do come into crises, and we do have issues, and we do, you know, go through things, which inevitably we're going to do as a society, we're able to do with them. And as I say, we're able to pass them on to you know, the next generation. And for me, I don't want that just to be, you know, one colour or, you know, the colour, I guess, who, you know, the people who historically have done it. You know, it should be everybody. Yeah. We want the best minds, full stop, whether they're black, white, pink, blue. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? We want the best. And and that's what we need in order for it to survive, in order for it to thrive, and um, in order for the for our society as a whole to be benefited
1: oh wow like yeah i honestly 100% agree um i'm a firm believer of like representation is so key um and i think just to what you said about you know to like kind of know something is out there for you you have to kind of see people that look like you in those spaces i think even me i'm in pr right now and i think growing up i didn't even know it was an industry that was available to someone that looked just like me so i definitely understand the power of like representation um and it just makes certain spaces a lot more attainable for certain communities so it's definitely like really important like um what you're doing and i think still on the topic of um kind of just using your voice and using your platform like over the like you know, couple of weeks, I feel like the um BLM movement has really like come alive in the UK in a way I don't think I've like ever seen. Like I'm like my mid-20s and I was just like, wow, like the movement has really come alive. Um and on your social media I saw um your anti-racism video that you like little um clip that you did with you and former JLS band members and um like it which really moved me because I think in this period there has been this kind of I don't know pressure for like people who have um a platform to speak on like Racial injustices, and I guess I just kind of wanted to hear like your um own lived experience, like how um racial injustice has I don't know impacted you personally, like your lived experience in general, and like how it's may maybe how it's affected your career. Like it's just something that like you know I'm quite interested in because I can just imagine like you probably would have gone through um a few things.
2: Um, well, to be very honest with you, my lived experience has been relatively positive. Um. You know, I, I w- I w- I've seen instances, of course, of racism, and um, but, you know, thankfully, thank God, I've not been on the receiving end, um, or certainly not as an individual explicitly, um, and I've been relatively, I suppose, sheltered from that, you know, from, from those situations. Not not on purpose, um, but there's no, no instance that I can think, Do you know what, wow, I was really put out and I was really you know, um, uh, picked on or singled out as a result of my my colour my race. Um, But that said, of course, you know, I think that, you know, and one of the things that's come out of this BLM movement has been the fact that there is, of course, deliberate and prolonged um, racial discrimination by individuals or a group of people targeting certain other individuals or certain other groups of people. But then there's also this systemic discrimination, which has been born out of an, you know, an historic society's uh, perception of others, we'll say in general, but of course um, the black community. And that's the hardest bit to undo. So when I when I think back to some of my experiences at school, you know, I went to a, a private school which was predominantly white, um, and you know I had to go through you know had to jump through a lot of hoops in order to get to get in. I had to take an exam, um, you know, and, and I was actually able to secure a scholarship. And it's probably my mum's proudest moment yeah. <laughs> uh, of me because she she spent a lot of my, I went to a you know just a normal pri- primary school, states primary school, um, and she had to pay for tutors and do you know what I mean, like give me extra help in order to accomplish those things but for her she always said that someone has to do it why can't Mm. it be you someone has to come first someone has to get a scholarship to one of these schools and i think you're capable why can't it be you but there were certain things within the system as an example um that you just you question now you know, and, and so as an example, you know i I used to live in Brixton before I moved to Croydon, the school's in Croydon, um, and I remember you know when I got there, we had to get on the bus and I had to get the one hundred nine and this bus and about two or three buses in order to get to school, and it took me an hour, um, you know door to door, which is just crazy, you know, um, so that was two hours of my day where I was traveling basically. Um, And when I, you know, when you get right used to the school and you find out things and stuff, I I was so astonished to find that they had school buses to some of the other communities, but a bit further out. So if you're going out towards, you know, Banstead and Kingswood and, you know, out towards the M25, they had school buses. Again, that's a similar journey, probably just under an hour. But they they put on that that provision. And maybe it's because, to say historically, they would never have had anybody coming from the Brixton area or that sort of area. But then, you know, I remember going to, as I say, get to school, jumping on the bus. There were like, you know, 20, 30, 40 kids who had to go that direction, even if they weren't in Brixton as far as me. You know, they were in Dulwich or they were in Thornton Heath or, you know, wherever it was along the way. And I thought to myself, I thought back then, you know, why don't they have a school bus to to take, you know, the 30 or 40 of us? You know, and as I say it's one of those things that i always look for the positives in every situation i don 't try mm-hmm. to focus on the negatives it 's just how i 've been brought up it 's just my character it 's just my temper temperament so I would never have complained in a situation like that now i 'm looking at it in 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 the 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 light of what's been happening within our community. I see that as a systemic evidence i mean that's mm-hmm. systemic evidence of of um of you know prejudice but Was it deliberate? No. Did I have anyone saying to me, no, you can't do this because you're black? No. Um, And I've never ever, you you know, I've never ever tried to use it as an excuse. For me, I think, as I say, we can do anything we want to do. Everybody, you know, we have the capabilities. We're all unique. You know, there's no one person the same as another person ever in history or to come. And so for me, you know, you have to use you know, your um, uniqueness. You have to use your abilities to be as great as you can be. And as I say, you know, I always stand on my mum's words. You know, someone has to be first. Why can't it be me? You know, why can't it be you?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I'm really happy in a sense that you have had, like, a positive experience. But I'm also really glad that, like, you know, you're able to draw out, like, the fact that there is like systematic oppression like in this country um but i think just like your mom my mom is literally the same she always says like if you don't walk into the room first then others can't follow so i think like we're really similar in that sense just understanding that you know you can so you don't always have to wait for someone to like go forward first like you can always like jump in and be the first you know um so i can really like relate to you on that one um i know you're probably really sick and tired of like (laughs) all these x-factor questions i'm sure you've got so many Like in in your years, but um I think it's personally such a beautiful part of your journey, honestly. Um, Mm. I just kind of wanted to get like your thoughts on the show now and just like how it's progressed, especially following like other contestants just coming out and speaking on their experience, I guess. How did you find your experience? You were in a in a boy band, so you had like the support of like quote unquote like your brothers, people around you, just to be there for you. I can imagine like what that brotherhood meant to you. So, yeah, how was your experience on the show and like what your thoughts on the show in general?
2: Yeah, do you know what? We've had a great experience on the show, you know, and, I mean, I don't know what that's down to, whether it's down to us or down to the people we were working with at the time or what it was. You know, I think, again, we always set that precedent for ourselves and said, you know what? We're here. We're involved in this show. We're going to go as far as we can possibly go. We believe we can make it to the finals. Once we get to those live finals, anything can possibly happen, and we just need to keep our heads down. We just need to work. And I think us... Us breaking this breaking us potentially breaking how and this is just you know me figuratively speaking, how a black group or how young black men or how you know the system would approach for young black men, us breaking those stereotypes, just speaks volumes, you know what I mean? Because we walk into a room like you say, and we would speak to everybody. We'd be like, "Oh, yeah, hi, da da da." we remember people's names. We were always polite. You know, not to say that young black men are not that, but that that just evidence that young black men are polite or can be polite. You know, young black men can can, uh, uh, remember people's names, can speak to people, can be personable. Do you see what I'm saying? So... For us, we just were ourselves. We weren't even thinking about black, white, pink or blue. We were just there to do a job. And our job was to go as far as we could possibly go and to be able to release music once we finished. Simple as that, you know. So I want our world to become a place where merit is what it, we look at. You know, we're not looking at who went to what school and how you know how they grew up and who their parents are, and all this sort of stuff. It's got to be based on merit, you know, and their ability and how good they are and how unique their brain is, and you know, being able to use their skills to to whether it's a company or to an industry or to whatever to that, the better advantage of those, um, you know, those those um, people in those places to be able to benefit our our world. You know, I, I I'm, I'm very much philosophical when it comes to that approach, and I think you know we all have something to contribute to this world. Um, and we want a place where people can do that comfortably without being discriminated or judged because they look perhaps, well, they look different to somebody else. Well, the truth is we all are different. Even if you're white, you look different to the next, you know, next person.
1: Yeah, so it's so true. I think that's just a um, perfect example of just like the power of being like your authentic self um and just like you know living your own truth which I think it's really powerful in itself and one thing about you that I guess really struck me um was like I saw in an interview and you described your faith as um integral to everything that you do um and as like a Christian myself sometimes I feel like I kind of um I don't know struggle to show up in like non-Christian spaces so I guess I just wanted to know like how easy was it for you to kind of live out your faith whilst you were in the band and kind of what does being a christian mean to you like today
2: mm, that's a good question i love that question because the truth of it is i i didn't i, I definitely failed and it was very, very difficult for me to live out my faith while i was in the group um and not not because i had a strong faith before i went into the group and then it dropped off it was more because i think when I was younger, I def- my, faith, my faith was definitely much stronger. And, you know, I used to go to church quite regularly. Um, you know, I used to be involved in the band, playing the flute and piano and stuff like that. And, do you know, what I mean, we used to go to church as a family. And I think when I moved from my sec- prim- primary school, sorry, to my secondary school, as I mentioned, I then ended up going to school in, in Croydon. And I was b- originally based sort of Bricks and Tulls Hill area. So that firstly was a very, very long journey. So a lot of, like, the extracurricular activities that I used to do, had to drop off and then um when we mo- we then ended up moving house so i moved from brixton up to croydon which is where my mum and dad still are now um my mum anyway um and so that changed the whole dynamic i think we you know we didn't have a church or we weren't able to really establish in a new church um and you weren't able to be around you know similar, you know socialize with you know people of a similar mind and then school just takes over. Do you know what I mean? When you start doing exams and this and that. And do you know what I mean? I was never ever a, a bad person on the surface of things. Like for most people, they'd be like, oh yeah, no, cool. He's a great boy. He's this, he's that, he's that, the other. But in terms of faith and spirituality, it's it's about more than that. As a Christian, it's not just about how good you are. Do you know what I mean? You have to yeah. profess your faith. And it's about your your dependence and your um, reliance on, on Jesus Christ um, and your relationship with God. And so... you know, I I definitely lost that throughout my teenage years. Um, and my, and and not for any reason, obviously that was still something that was very close to my heart, but it just, as I say, wasn't practiced as much. So I wouldn't go to church really, or we wouldn't, but only on special occasions. And do you know what I mean? Like little things like that, just, you, you I lost the momentum, I suppose in that. And then, you know, I went to university and again, I was super busy, crazy, you know, trying to get, you know, get adjusted to that whole lifestyle. Um, and then on top of that, we then, you know, my, after my first year, the summer of my first year, I met with the JLS boys. So that became like my direction and my my focus and my goal. Um, and so then I was balancing university with music um, and trying to get signed and all the rest of it. And then after my second year, in the in the summer of my second year, we then ended, entering, ended up entering the X Factor. So that was kind of the progression. Everything was like super quick. We then go through the show, finish the show, and basically win the show and then all of a sudden it's like whirlwind crazy machine jls on every platform do you know what i mean like it was number one single number one single number one album like bang see like just gone so things just moved so quick for me and to be honest i don't think i had as an individual had a chance to catch up and it wasn't really until you know um Well, I I met um, my wife, Chloe, on the show because she was a dancer. Um, And, you know, we were together kind of throughout that whole period. And, of course, you know, we had ups, we had downs, just as any couple does or whatever. But it wasn't really until we were getting close or I was getting close to thinking about marriage and getting married um, that I started kind of assessing, like, what's important to me? Who am I? Like, what am I about? You know, even during that time, I I used to tithe, um, which for anyone listening who doesn't know that's basically giving a percentage. Usually it's about 10% um, of what you own, what you earn, um, um, basically back, giving it back to the church. Um, And that can be done in many different forms. But for me, because I didn't have a church that I was belonging to, I used to give it to charity. So I had like my own charities that I'd, you know, donate my money to and and so on. Um, And I used to do that like without fail. But then, as I say, you know, I was just absent in church, just didn't have the time to attend. Um, And, you know, I suppose over time, I've really learned to understand that period in my life. And I do believe that if you're if you are a Christian and you've, you know, professed your faith and you said, you know what, I give my life to Jesus Christ. Like you can't undo that. And biblically, it says that 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 far as God's concerned, that's you. Do you know what I mean? But there are elements of obedience that you have to do you know what i mean you have to undertake just like any anything else if you say that you're a fan of someone's music but you don't know any of the music it just doesn't make any sense so if you're saying that yeah i'm a follower of jesus christ or you know i i'm, I'm a christian and you don't do anything that reflects that it just doesn't make any sense you know for me i've had to look at it from less of a you know traditional you have to do this you know fundamental view and saying do you know what actually we are we're individuals like god knows that i I'm in a boy band. Like, God knows that I have to travel a lot for my work. God knows that I can't always go to church every single week. So, you know, I actually can't focus on beating myself up or anybody else up about the fact that I don't go to church. What I have to do is I have to connect in a different way because this is part of my life. Do you know what I mean? And and again, when I was younger, you just compartmentalize stuff. So on a Sunday, you go church, maybe in midweek, you might do another activity related to church, but the rest of the week you're, you're at school or you're playing your sport or you're doing this or you're doing your career or whatever it might be. Whereas now I'm like, everything kind of fuses. So, you know, when I'm talking to my children or I'm educating my children, I have my my spiritual grounding as the place where I'm kind of directing that from, and that's always developing. Do you know what I mean when I'm looking at my work, like there's certain things that I just won't do because I'm not comfortable with them from a spiritual point of view, mm-hmm. because that's ultimately what governs me. And it's taken a long time to get to that position of strength, and you know there's still obviously a lot work, a lot more work for me to do. But you know now I just you know I just don't shy away from it. I just say this is how I feel. I respect people's opinions. If they don't want to agree with me, that's fine. Um, but people know where I stand. do you know what I mean? They know mm-hmm. how I feel about certain things, and actually they've they' you know once they see, once people see the evidence of that, they 'll begin to make decisions you know and positive things positive decisions with you in mind. Do you know what I mean and so you know if you're, if your work colleagues know that you're not you don't really want to go out and be getting drunk they're not going to be going out and expecting you know what I mean like getting you drunk or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And there'll be a mutual respect there because you just say, listen, you can do what you want to do. That's fine. But that's not for me any, do you know I mean, anymore or that's not for me at all. So, um, yeah, it's taken a while for me to kind of develop that. You know, there was a period of time sort of through, you know, just after JLS where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I honestly don't, you know, and, and although, yes, we made a conscious decision about um, leaving the group. Yeah. I mean, we were all for it. You know, we, we, as I'm sure, you know, like we're still very good friends. So there wasn't like a breakup or fallout or anything like that, but you know, I I didn't know what I would do after that. I always envisaged kind of being in JLS and although I knew it would come to an end at some point, um, you know, I didn't (laughs) perhaps, you know, envisage it happening at 26 or 27, (laughs) I think I was, um, you know, and you're a young man, you still got to work, you know, you still got stuff to do. So, um, so yeah, it, you know, me kind of working through that and working out what I wanted to do next and, you know, changing from, um, an industry that's like super recognizable. Everyone wants a piece of you talking about you to an industry where people really don't have any understanding. It's hard, you know? And so there were really tough moments, but, um, you know, I've got a great, great wife by my side, you know, she's worked with me through those moments and, and helped me to develop as an individual and, in, in my career, uh, in TV and, and, you know, one of the shows that I grew up watching songs of praise, you know, became one of my main jobs, you know, and I never would have imagined that, um, you know, five years ago, if you'd asked me, um, but yeah, kind of, you know, I've got a lot to thank God for, um, and I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, and as I say, you know, things out of my control, like when I bought my house, I didn't or bought the farm i didn't expect to be using it as a farm and you know now you've come sort of forward 10 years you know it's it's an incredible space like just in this pandemic i've been able to go outside with my kids and just walk around and just appreciate stuff and be able to do more than just be stuck indoors do you know what i mean and and mm. so for me i think as i say you know it's definitely integral to my faith is definitely integral to everything that i do um you know and, and long may that continue
1: just before like we round up I just like had to ask so JLS have like currently announced you know their comeback for 2020 how have your fans taken it because like I remember like how many people just love JLS like oh my gosh some of my friends are literally still today your like biggest fans (laughs) like do you have any like funny or wacky stories of like how like your fans have just like taken the news
2: um, well, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine it was pretty crazy when we first announced. Um, and when we jumped on the stage, um, at the one show, uh, and did our first <laughs> comeback performance, everyone's like, are they going to be dancing like dads? Are they going to be like sacking up a dance? Usually like, listen, they're coming stronger. <laughs> um, and that's what it's all about, you know, and, and one of the things that I love about JLS, you know, um, we've obviously touched on the element of race and stuff like that, um, throughout this, but one of the things that I've loved is the fact that we, appeal and cater to this whole country you know whether you're black white asian anything in between like do you know I mean like everything that we've done every all the music that we've done all the performances that we've given have been to encourage people to stop thinking about those sorts of things and to embrace who they truly are. Do you know what I mean? And just have fun. That's what everything that we've done has always been about fun, you know, and even this next sort of, I'll say venture um, with the boys is is brilliant. You know, we've made a conscious decision, of course, to reform. Um, And yeah, we're here for as long as people will have us, man. I think if we can do new music, we'd love to do that. Um, and the fans are are as crazy as ever. And what's great is that we've got a new generation. So all the pretty much all the teenagers or whatever that were coming up when we were, you know, we were doing it, they've all got a, well, not all, but some of them have got their own kids now. So they're coming to the show, perhaps bringing their kids. So this new generation of you know, uh, uh, you know, kids coming through uh, are now appreciating and. I'm sure obviously if, if and when we get to releasing new music, then we'll be able to um to to increase that that fan base and and to grow it you know and that's what it's all about for us. We always wanted to do new things and keep pushing and keep developing when we were you know doing it the first time. I think this time the the ambition's there because you know we've got a lot to sacrifice, man I've got a young family, all of us have young families. You know, we've all got our own careers and other bits and pieces that we're doing. Um, but this is something that, for, you know, is close to all of our hearts. And, you know, this this was the starting point for all of our careers. We've got a lot to be, uh, you know, be grateful for um, with JLS. So I just think, you know, for this time around, it's going to be, it probably won't be as crazy as Fnatic. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's definitely going to be a lot of fun. And, and we're looking forward to getting onto the journey.
0: Thanks to JB and to Tosin. Keep across other Freudcasts and what else Freud is up to by following us on Instagram and on LinkedIn. I'm Matt Barbette. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.